Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. Let's read it responsibly. The Word of God says, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Father, bless us tonight as we look at your word. Give us further insight, some depth uh, into this verse. Help us to understand how to practice this verse and put it into action in our lives and so we can uh, help save our nation, so we can continue to have the freedom to uh, spread your gospel and worship you freely. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, our church is familiar with this verse. And I want to give you a reminder tonight. I don't know that you're going to learn too many new things, uh, although you might get some insight on some things. But uh, I believe that this verse, Second uh, Chronicles 7.14, is God's plan of salvation for a nation. This is how God says, if you want me to step in and heal your nation, this is exactly how to do it. It's almost like the Romans road for a nation. If we want to lead someone to Christ, the Bible gives us steps that we can teach them. They're a sinner. There's a penalty on sin. If they uh, don't get forgiven, they have to pay for their own sin in a terrible place called hell. But Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died on the cross to pay for their sin, was buried and rose again. And if they put their faith and trust in Jesus, they can go to heaven when they die. And they can know for sure they're going to heaven. Uh, I'm glad that God gave us a very clear path back to Him. Amen. You know, if you go to the average religious person in, in the world and say, can you tell me how to get to heaven? You'd be surprised at the answers you get. You'd be surprised at how many people that have gone to church 30, 40, 50 years that don't know how to tell you how to go to heaven. That's why I love starting off a soul winning presentation with 1 John 5.13. Because I can talk to someone that's been in church for 50 years and I'd say, what if there was a Bible verse that told you you could know for sure you'd go to heaven? Would you like to see it? Yeah. A lot of people don't know that verse is in there. They don't know they can have any type of assurance at all. Uh, and I'm glad God told us how we could be saved personally. I'm also glad God told us how a nation can be saved nationally. And of course, we know that this is specifically... Speaking here to the children of Israel, this promise was made to Israel in response of uh, to Solomon's prayer. Solomon prayed, and a God came to him and uh, told him, I will answer your prayer, and gave several ways that God was going to answer his prayer, and this was part of the answer. But as you know, the Bible has one interpretation, but many applications. And the Bible says that all Scripture is inspired and is helpful and is profitable. So there's not one verse in the Bible that you could look at and say, oh, that verse isn't for me. This is important you get this. There's not one verse in the Bible that you can't take an application out of that would make your life better or that would help you in your world. And here we know, uh, as we've been talking about America and and. Uh, our Christian heritage and, and our unique blessing by God, I believe that this verse applies to America too. That if America were to follow the steps in this verse, 
that God would step in and heal America. I've often said there's nothing wrong with America that a genuine revival couldn't fix. We've seen it happen before. America had a great awakening, first great awakening, and you study the history. America was in a dark place. Then there was a second great awakening with hundreds of thousands saved and revivals uh, that, sp- that spread across the nation. If you look back as recently as the 70s, America was in crisis politically. Uh, but uh, so many people got saved. The largest church in almost every state was an independent fundamental Baptist church. Uh, soul winning was booming. Buses were running. Churches were packed. People were getting saved right and left. Some of you here tonight got saved during that time. Uh, and God can do it again. Uh, God can do it again. Uh, as long as God's alive and as long as you're still breathing, as long as Christ still saves, it's not too late. Uh, and we believe that America is not a lost cause, and we're just going to keep fighting for God's will to be done in our nation. Uh, we believe America is a Christian nation founded by people seeking religious and social freedom. She's been uniquely blessed by God, but we see trouble in our country today. Godless and idolatrous people have gained ground in society. And as they've gained ground, God's blessing has waned. And I made the case this morning that God is judging America today. We're already being judged. It's just explained away. Matter of fact, the devil uses it for his own ends. He'll take the judgment of God and they'll call it climate change. And you better do what we say. Uh, they'll, uh, they'll say, well, financially things are going rough, so you better turn to socialism. And Satan will take the judgment of God and repackage it and market it as a reason to go the devil's way. And we Christians ought to have enough discernment to know that that's not the way to go. Uh, and we need to get more people saved so they have discernment as well. Our nation's only hope is to turn back to God. And I've said this a few times, but allow me to remind you, there are two layers of righteousness in a nation. There's first governmental righteousness. What does the government choose? How does the government govern? Uh, Do they choose the righteousness of uh, God in their laws, in their precepts, in their judgments? And I believe America, and I made the case again this morning, America is running away from God in this area. Godless politicians, rogue judges, deep state operatives, and ungodly laws have waged war against Christ. America, the government in America has become way too powerful. We just had a justice pass away and everybody's gone insane because the Supreme Court has become too powerful. The Supreme Court was never made to rewrite the Constitution. Uh, The founders made all three branches of government to keep each other in balance. And at times the presidency gets too strong. And at times the the legislative branch gets too strong. And at times the the judicial branch gets too strong. They should keep each other in balance. But we know and we've seen how uh, progressives and those that would choose ungodly laws have bypassed the will of the American people and they have used the courts to instill ungodly laws against the will of the American people. 
How many times has a state voted something on a ballot and then a judge will step in and say, no, we're going to do it differently? Well, who, what? Who gave them that power? How many times has the American people chosen something and the Supreme Court steps in and says, no, we're going to do it differently? And so this is governmental righteousness. And I believe in this area, we have seen America take huge steps away from God. And I'll be honest with you, I've been shocked that President Trump has been so supportive of churches. Shocked. I think a lot of us were shocked. The guy's been a heathen his whole life. Who would have thought that he would be the one supporting churches? He would be the one saying, no, we're going to support free speech. No, you're not going to tell the churches what to do. No, open up the churches, he says. And he gives these speeches that hearken back to presidents of old talking about God and America's heritage and we are a Christian nation and all of that stuff. Who would have thought that? But I'm thankful for it. It's a long way to go. And don't, don't think that if this election goes a certain way in November, all that's gone in a moment. But there's governmental righteousness. America is running the wrong direction. But then there's individual righteousness. That's the righteousness of a nation's citizens. Here's the thought for tonight. You can't control the entire country, but you can control you. And as we said, we ought to live right no matter who's in the White House or who's in Congress. It shouldn't change how you and I are going to live tomorrow other than it might make it a little bit more difficult. We might have to swim upstream. But let me encourage you tonight that personal righteousness matters. And when it turns to 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, we see this, that when God decides the fate of a nation, He doesn't look to the White House or to the uh, the government seat, he looks to his people. And I just want to give you the five steps of God's plan of salvation for a nation tonight, and then we'll go to the house. Uh, Let me say number one, if my people which are called by my name. God is looking to the righteous to save America. Wicked people will always be wicked. Ungodly people will be ungodly. Hollywood will always push the boundaries of wickedness. The worldly music industry will always push the boundaries. Sinners sin. And when wicked people are elevated, sinners increase. We can, God's not surprised by that. But what God looks to is His people. What are my people doing in the midst of a corrupt nation? What are my people doing in the midst of a sinful culture? If my people, which are called by my name. Look at 2 Chronicles chapter 16. It's a powerful verse if you want to be used by God. And hopefully you do. Hopefully you want to be used by God to make a difference. 2 Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 9 For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. Herein thou hast done foolishly, therefore from henceforth thou shalt have wars. God wanted to bless the nation of Israel through Asa, but Asa didn't trust God. 
and God rebukes him and says, you've forgotten that I'm looking for people to be strong through. I'm looking for people to trust me and be righteous enough for me to show my glory. And folks, we Christians in 2020, we have to understand that God is looking for people to stand up. God is looking for people to stand out. God's looking for people to find a biblical voice and speak the truth in love and live like Jesus and make a difference in 2020. I think all of us have been a little bit shocked about how quiet the average person in America is during all this chaos. That's the scary part, isn't it? That the average person's not saying, whoa, time out, hold up. This is insane. This is crazy. This is wrong. But when the average person gets quiet, then wicked people elevate themselves further. But God is looking for somebody, anybody, some man, some woman, some adult, some child, some teenager to stand up and say, God, use me. I want to be righteous. I want to be used by you. And God certainly can use you. At times, God has found people he could use as his instruments. And you see those wonderful stories all through the Bible. But at times, God couldn't find anybody. Let me read a verse to you, Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30. And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it. And four of the saddest words in the Bible, but I found none. God said, I was just looking for somebody to pray. I was just looking for somebody to even pray for the nation. Give me a reason to not judge you. Give me a reason to not destroy you. God said, I couldn't find anybody. What a sad thought. God was patient with Israel and Judah through generations of sinfulness until it was almost entirely corrupt. Only a small remnant were faithful at the end, so God purified His people with judgment. God always keeps Himself a remnant. Amen? He always keeps Himself a remnant. Even during the worst times of Israel, there were 7,000 people that didn't bow their knee to Baal. And let me just tell you something, friend. Now's not the time to compromise. Now's not the time to switch Bibles. Now's not the time to give up on soul winning. Now's not the time to drop your standards and start living like a heathen. Now's not the time to find a church that will rubber stamp your wicked life and make you feel good about yourself. Now's the time to stand. We want to be part of the remnant. Anybody can quit. Anybody can run away. Anybody can go with the flow. But when it's all said and done, God's going to have a handful of people that don't compromise. And God, let it be us. Let Curtis Corner Baptist Church be counted in the number that we are the holy remnant of God in a wicked nation. So God looks to His people to decide if He's going to Destroy or heal a nation. Christians are God's people today, aren't they? We are called by the name of Christ today. 2 Timothy 2.19 says, Let him that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. We name the name of Christ. Literally, they called us Christians. Little Christ, we bear his name. We should also have some resemblance to him. Look at 1 Peter chapter 4.
First Peter chapter 4, God looks to his people today to determine the ultimate fate of America. And let me show you this. Look at verse 17. First Peter chapter 4, verse 17. For the time is come that judgment must begin where? At the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? This is an astounding verse. God says judgment's coming. Everybody's going to be judged. Sinners are going to be judged at the great white throne judgment. God's people will be judged at the judgment seat of Christ. But judgment always begins with God's people. In the end times timeline, God's people are judged at the judgment seat of Christ before the final judgment at the great white throne judgment. When God is looking right now to see what he will do with America, he's not looking at the White House first or Congress. He's looking tonight at Curtis Corner Baptist Church. But I'm afraid tonight he sees all kinds of churches that are closed. He sees churches that no longer have Sunday evening services. They're trying to get out of church instead of get into church. He looked at pulpits this morning and tuned into every service across the planet. And he heard a lot of pulpits uh, not giving out the truth and preaching peace, peace when there is no peace and telling everybody it's okay and rubber stamping wickedness and making people feel good about their worldliness. And God looks to the house of God to see what the next step will be. This should give us hope. This means that the levers are ultimately in your hands. You have a say in the future of our nation. As much say or dare I say more than a senator or a congressman. You have a spiritual say in the actions of God moving forward. So we ought to take this seriously, amen? We ought to realize that we have a role to play. So we said five steps of God's salvation, plan of salvation for a nation. Number one, if my people, God always looks to his people to determine the ultimate fate of a nation. Number two, if they humble themselves. Humble themselves. Well, we must humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. We must humble ourselves when things are going well. We must humble ourselves when things aren't going well. We must even humble ourselves when we are being corrected by Almighty God. Here's something you can always be sure and you can know about God, and it never changes. God loves humility. He loves humility. If you ever want to get on good, God's good side, humility. If you ever want to get God's help, humility. Every time. Every time single time there are things my kids know about me there are things in our home that will go poorly if you do them they will go poorly every single time every time it never makes me happy i will never be pleased and we can have that same confidence in god god says listen pride always makes me unhappy I always resist pride. God hates pride and he resists it at every turn. But God loves humility and he assists the humble. Look at James chapter 4. 
I ask you a question as you, tur- as you turn. Are you humble? You say, well, yes, I am humble. I'm the most humble man I know. You know, then you're missing the point. Uh, of course I'm humble. I wrote the book called Humility by Paul Chapman. I'm humble. I wrote a book once called The Ten Most Humble Men I Know and How I Met the Other Nine. It's, you're kind of missing the point there with humility. And I'm not talking about a false humility where you, you think you're awesome, but you pretend like you're not. <laughs> you know, I'm, talking, I'm talking about just humility. And all humility is, is recognizing where you fit in the grand scheme of things. Pride is an overestimation of yourself. And all we have to do is see ourselves through the eyes of God and you'll hit that sweet spot of humility. See, sometimes pride says I'm awesome. But you know, it's also a form of pride when you say I'm so terrible. I'm probably the worst person that I've ever met. I'm the worst person that's ever lived. Pride can be high or pride can take you low. I was talking to a man one time. We walked into a large church. Church seated about 3,000. And he said, I just, I'm nervous about going in there. I said, why? He said, I just feel like everybody's looking at me. I looked at him. He said, I just feel like everybody's looking at me. And I just looked at him, and, and we were young college students. I said, dude, you're just not that important. You think everybody's looking at you? It's like, oh, look at that guy that just came in. Every head turns. The spotlight comes on. The dramatic music plays. He's here. No, dude, you're just another guy walking in the door. God knows who you are. If you see yourself through the eyes of God, you find that sweet spot between, I know I'm a sinner deserving of hell, but I know that I'm worth Jesus dying for. And it's that beautiful spot of self-assurance because you know what God thinks about you. Look at James 4, 6. But he giveth more grace. How many of you would like more grace? Say amen. Well, I need some. But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. So you want more grace? Just humble yourself. By the way, the Bible always commands you to humble yourself. You don't want God to humble you. He will, but it's far easier for you just to humble yourself. It's an exercise that you go through. And sometimes you'll feel the pride welling up and you just need to humble yourself. Look at uh, James chapter 4 and verse 9 and, and 10. Humility mourns over sin. Be afflicted and mourn and weep and let your laughter be turned to mourning and let your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. One way you humble yourself is you mourn at your sin. You weep for your own sins and for the calamities of others. You know, so many people today want to be happy. Do you know it's not God's plan for you to be happy all the time? I know Joel Olstein would never say that. He's never going to write a best-selling book telling you God just doesn't want you happy every day. You need to mourn some days. You need to be afflicted sometimes. You need to weep sometimes. That's life. But if you turn to God and you humble yourself, then God assists you. 
It's better to mourn and have God cheer you up than to sin trying to be happy. It's better to be afflicted and have God give you extra grace than to try to manipulate your life so that you never have trouble. Who will weep for our nation? Who will weep for lost sinners? Does it burden you that most of South County's lost? I mean, if, if Rhode Island was wiped off the face of the planet today and everybody immediately went into eternity, that's 1.1 million souls. And most of them would go into a Christless eternity. Does that bother you? Does it bother you that your neighbors are lost and 25,000 people in South Kingstown and most of them are lost? 12,000 students at the university and most of them are lost? We go day after day, it just never bothers us. Babies murdered by the millions in the safety of their mother's womb and it just never bothers us? It's one reason why our nation's in trouble is because American Christians don't stop and be like, oh God, what have we done? God, forgive us. We need to humble ourselves, don't we? The third step on the God's plan of salvation for a nation is pray. Pray. I want you to meditate upon this amazing fact. God would have spared wicked Sodom if there had been ten righteous people living there. I mean, He would have spared Sodom. This is the city that is the supreme example of wickedness in Scripture. The name of Sodom has been forever stained and stigmatized. Have you ever heard anything be called Sodom in a nice way? Never. The name stained in the conscience of mankind. Just like you never hear a woman named Jezebel. Oh, she's so sweet and precious. Let's call her Jezebel. No, God has stained that name in the conscience of mankind. It's not something that we ever use in a kind way. Sodom has all kinds of bad connotations. It is a city that is so wicked that I don't feel comfortable describing to you the layers of wickedness that even the Scripture describe. But God says, I would have saved Sodom. Think about that. Genesis chapter 18, God, Christophany, Jesus Christ comes to Abraham and says, I'm not going to hide from you what I'm going to do. I'm getting ready to go down and I'm going to make sure that what I know to be true about Sodom is true. And of course, God was right, but that just shows the justice of God. Giving him one more chance, I'm going to go down and lay eyes on it myself. Took two angels with him. And he said, I'm going to see if it's as bad as I know it to be, and I'm going to destroy it. And Abraham says, whoa, would... Would you spare them if you found 50 righteous people? You're not going to destroy the righteous with the wicked, are you? And Christ says, I'll I'll save it for 50 righteous people. Well, Lord, what if you just miss five? What about 45 people? And the Lord says, okay, I won't destroy it for 45. And 40, and 35, and 30, and 20. And Lord, I hate to ask one more time, but I mean, what if there's 10 righteous people you find in Sodom? Would you spare the city? And our Lord says, I'll spare it if there's ten righteous people. 
Now, our Lord knew at the time there weren't ten righteous people. But I think Abraham was shocked there weren't ten righteous people. At least his own children, their husbands, their friends. I mean, you're telling me there's not ten righteous people in this large city? The amazing point here is that because of intercessory prayer, our Lord would have saved Sodom. How much more would he be willing to save a nation like America? How many righteous people does it take? We must intercede for our nation. Uh, Sometime later tonight or tomorrow, I want you to read Nehemiah chapter 1 verses 4 through 11. And Nehemiah got news about how the destruction of Jerusalem was so terrible. And he was in Babylon and a cupbearer to the king and he began to pray. And and we find elements of Nehemiah's prayer for the nation of Israel and I'll just give them to you uh, just briefly and we will, uh, j- just for, for your thinking and your meditation for later. But we find in verse 4, he wept. Nehemiah wept. He humbled himself. Nehemiah mourned in verse 4. He fasted in verse 4. When's the last time you skipped a meal so God would save America? We're worried about our job. We're worried about our 401k. We're worried about this and that. Well, what, what if my guy doesn't get elected? You better pray that America exists. You better pray for the lives of people in your community and your family. When you read the book of Revelation, you don't see America mentioned at all. And some people say, well, America is called Babylon. If that's true, it's wiped off the face of the earth. In a moment, nuclear explosion. What? And the devil has us so focused on on all kinds of things that matter today, but don't really matter in the grand scheme of things. And somebody has to say, I'm going to weep for my nation. I'm going to mourn for my nation. I'm going to skip a meal and fast and pray for my nation. Number four, he acknowledged God for who he is. Number five, he confessed the sins of the nation and the citizens. Number six, he reminded God of his word. Number seven, he reminded God of his people. And number eight, he prayed for wisdom and an open door. You say, oh, I couldn't do anything to save America. God used Nehemiah to help save Jerusalem. But you know what? If he didn't care enough to pray, if he hadn't humbled himself and prayed, Nehemiah wouldn't have been part of the solution. God would have found somebody else. And so we say, if my people, and they humble themselves and they pray, number four, in the salvation of a nation is to seek God's face. King David encouraged the Hebrews to seek God's face after they retrieved the ark of God. First Chronicles 16:11 says, "Seek the Lord in his strength, seek his face continually." I love that phrase, "seek his face." What does it mean to seek God's face? The face speaks about the presence of God. If you want to speak to someone face to face, you want to speak to them in person. You want to be with them. You want to be near them. You want to be close to them. Isn't it better to speak to someone face to face than over the telephone or even a video chat? Isn't it better to come to church rather than watch it online? Thank you for the folks watching online that couldn't be here. But it's far better to be in church. 
And the Bible talks about seeking God's face. One of these days we're going to see Jesus face to face, aren't we? We were saying about that this morning. Isaiah 55, 6 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. See, God wants to be found right now. He wants you to find him. He's not hiding. It's not going to take much effort for you to find God if, you, if you're looking for him, if you seek him. But during times of judgment, God does hide his face. There does come a time when God pulls back. In the days of Hosea, God pulled back from Israel until they decided to seek his face. Hosea 5.15 says, I will go and return to my place till they acknowledge their offense and seek my face. In their affliction, they will seek me early. God says, okay, you want to sin? I've tried to correct you. I'm just going to take a step back. And you're not going to have my presence until you acknowledge your, your sin and your offenses and you want me. Until you seek my face, my Christian friend, do you seek God's face? You say, well, I I read a devotional this morning. Yes, but did you seek his face? Well, I said a little prayer before I ate rub-a-dub-dub. Thanks for the grub before you eat breakfast. But did you seek his face? I came to church and I'm sitting here in the building uh, and I can't wait for you to get done. But did you seek his face? See, there's a big difference between going through the rituals of Christianity Versus seeking the presence of God. And this part of the plan of salvation for a nation reminds us that God's not looking for empty actions, ritualistic prayers and false humility. He's looking for a people that want him. God, we want you. We want your presence I hope you prayed for God's presence before church tonight. God, we, want, we don't just want to go to church. We want, we want to seek your face. We want to sense your presence. We don't just want to listen to some dead preacher get up and preach words that mean, that mean nothing to me. Lord, we, we want you to speak to our hearts. Boy, there's, seeking God's face, there's so much we could say about that. Let me say lastly, number five, in God's plan of salvation for a nation, they must turn from their wicked ways. God's people are called to live holy lives. Deuteronomy 14.2 says, For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. And the Lord hath chosen thee to be a peculiar people unto himself above all nations that are upon the earth. This is what he said about Israel. They were to be a holy people, but they got tripped up with the wickedness of the people around them. God expects no less of his people today. You and I, as God's people, in 2020, we are called to be holy. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 13. Wherefore, gird up the Lord's loins of your mind and be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fastening yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance... But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. God expects his people to be holy. I said it before, wicked people will will be wicked. Sinners will sin. Ungodly people will do and say ungodly things. But God's people should live differently. We should be holy. 
This is a real challenge to us. That means we have to spiritually filter all the things that come in, what we watch, what we listen to, the people we hang around, what we say, where we go, how we spend our time, how we spend our money. We've got to filter all of these things because the world, the flesh, and the devil, this world is built to make you sin and take you away from God. The world system is built to draw you away from your Savior. And you'll never live for God on accident. It'll always be on purpose. And there'll be sacrifices. And you'll have to be dedicated and consecrated and committed. But there is no salvation without turning from their wicked ways. It's interesting to note, you don't have to turn from your sin to be saved personally. You don't have to stop sinning for God to save you. The Bible's clear on that. We don't get better and then get saved. We get saved and then get better. You don't have to turn from your sin to be saved personally. But a nation has to turn from their sin to be saved nationally. And oftentimes when you see God talking about turning from sin, he's usually either talking to his people or he's speaking to a nation. America, as they've walked away from God, has gotten very comfortable sinning and they're not even ashamed anymore. People ought to be ashamed, but they're not. We do have to turn from our sin to be blessed. And God's plan of salvation for a nation is to turn from their sin. Jonah 3.10 says, And God saw their works that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that He had said that He would do unto them, and He did it not. The Ninevites turned from their wicked ways and God spared their nation. Josiah was one of the last kings of Judah. And you ought to take time to read 2 Chronicles 34. The nation was in such a mess when he became a king as just a young boy. Manasseh, the king before him, was just a wicked, vile, wicked man. And the Bible said there wasn't even a king like him that did such wickedness. Interesting, at the end of his life, God got Manasseh's attention. He changed his ways, but the nation was destroyed. The temple of God was broken down, not even used anymore. The priests were out working in other jobs. The worship of God was gone. They didn't even have a copy of the law. Josiah, a young man, has a heart for God. He sends people in to begin cleaning out the temple, rebuilding the temple. And while they're cleaning it out, they find a copy of God's law. Nobody had seen it in years. So they bring it to Josiah and he says, read it to me. And they begin reading him the law of God. And he begins to realize they were doing everything wrong as a nation. Everything they were doing wrong. They weren't worshiping God. They weren't honoring God. They were involved in all kinds of sins God says not to. And Josiah says, whoa, we we need to figure out. What's going on? Because we're in trouble. 
They couldn't even find a priest or a prophet. But there was a prophetess that still had the word of God. And they went to her and she gave him the word of God. Basically, I won't take the time to read through it. I've got all the verses here. But she basically said, God sees your heart, Josiah, and the nation will be judged, but he'll wait until after you're dead. The Bible says there was never a revival like the days in Josiah's day. They hadn't kept the Passover in years, but they kept it. There were Sodomites living right next to the temple. They broke their house down and kicked them out. Josiah took a few years and went through the whole nation tearing down every idol, all the idols to Baal. He would take the priests, and if you were serving Baal, they would burn your bones on the altar of the false god you served. I mean, you want to talk about revival. Josiah is one of the only kings that took down the high places that were always a problem. Self-willed worship. We don't have to go to God's temple. All worship on this mountain Does that sound familiar? I don't have to go to church. I'll worship on the lake. I'll worship on the deer stand. I'll worship on the beach. No, that's self-willed worship, sir. You don't serve God your way. God says, I don't accept it. Josiah tore down the high places. A great revival. And watch this. Because of one man... And a nation that got behind one man, God spared the judgment of the nation. And this is Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14 in action. And see, I still believe it works today. I still believe that if God's people, who are called by His name, will humble themselves and pray and seek His face and turn from their wicked way, then he will hear and he'll forgive their sin and he'll heal their land. There's no nation like America on the planet. I'd like to save her if we can. All we got to do is follow God's plan of salvation for a nation. Let's pray. Lord, pray you'd help us this evening to take what we've heard and take it to heart and to apply it. Lord, we love you. Forgive our nation. Forgive Christians and churches for their sin. Forgive us for not being as committed and dedicated as we should. Forgive Christians for getting soft, worldly, sinful. Forgive us for not doing a good job in winning people to Christ. And now most of the nation doesn't know you. The ungodly and Atheists and worshipers of false gods have taken control. And they sit in high places, creating laws and making judgments to take us further away from you. But we pray tonight in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, we pray tonight that you'd forgive us. We humble ourselves before you. We're praying, we're seeking your face. God, let thy face shine upon us. Lord, help us to turn from our wickedness. 
We pray that you'd heal our land, heal our community. I love South Kingstown. I love Southern Rhode Island. I love Rhode Island. I love New England. I love America. We want them to be blessed. We want people to be saved. But God, it will only happen if you step in. We pray that you'd save our nation. Help us to be busy about the salvation of individual souls. You told us to leave the 99 and go out and find the one. Oh, help us, God, to be busy about the ministry of reconciliation, preaching forth the gospel to every creature. Forgive us of our failures. Forgive us of our faults and our pride and our laziness. And God, motivate us, fill us, encourage us to accomplish your will and your work. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If the Lord spoke to your heart, we're going to take a few moments of invitation. Would you please pray for our country? Would you pray for politicians? Would you pray for God's grace, God's mercy? We deserve judgment as a nation, but God's merciful. Let's stand. As the piano plays, the altar's open.